friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears and I'll speak to them. I come to bury Caesar and not to praise him, lying bloody on the steps because we could not save him. If you haven't heard it, check out Megaran in my new song, Julius Caesar, featuring Dan Bull, which has my first rhyme on that song is what I always start the podcast with because we recorded that song around the time I started this podcast. We've been playing it on the Mount Nerdcore Tour. What's up, y'all? It is Monday, May 13th. This is episode 37. It's your boy, MC Lars, coming at you from Atlanta, Georgia. We finish up the tour. We got a few more shows with MC Frontalot, Megaran, and Shay for the Dark Lord. Tonight, Monday, May 13th, we play Smith's Old Bar in Atlanta. Then we go to Gainesville, home of Less Than Jake. We play the High Dive on May 14th, a great venue I've played a lot. Then, May 15th, we play West Palm Beach, Respectable Street. We finish the tour May 16th in the Orlando suburb of Winter Park at the Geek Easy, to quote Schaefer in our promo video. Then, check it out. June 8th, in Boston, I play with Big D in the Kids' Table uh, at Brighton Music Hall. I got my whole band for that show, so be sure to check that out. We're doing the Robot Kill songs, 10-year anniversary year, doing a lot of shows celebrating that album. June 15th, I play Underground Arts in Philadelphia with Word Burglar and MC Frontalot. I just can't get away from that guy. No, I love him. I love them. Then June 29th, I play Warp Tour in Atlantic City with my band. Then July 5th, I play Anime Midwest with Mega Ran and some other great artists. I've never been out there, so it's exciting that they're flying me out. Today's episode is brought to you by Christopher, Andrew, and Rhiannon on the Patreon, some of our old supporters, and some of our new supporters, Chris, Reagan, and Eric. Thank you all. If you want to learn how to support the show and get two new MC Lars tracks a month. Go to patreon.com slash mclars. This week I have a song coming out about Yoshi called How to Train Your Yoshi. I've been taking a lot of the patrons' ideas and turning them into songs. I just did a song about Jack the Ripper and uh, be sure to check that out. So, speaking of villains and heroes, today's episode is with Y.T. Cracker. Now, Y.T. Cracker is one of the original Nerdcore rappers. I'm sure a lot of the audience is aware of his music. I did an album with him called The Digital Gangster LP. He did an album called The Nerd Rap Entertainment System, which inspired a lot of people, including myself, Megaran, a lot of the chip-hop artists. And on this episode, we talk about Bryce's trouble he got into with the law. We talk about some of his political beliefs that I don't necessarily agree with, but we talk about, you know, how we can find a middle ground and try to find understanding in the world. We talk about how things like hacking elections and cybersecurity and surveillance, all these things he's been rapping about for 15 years are now more prominent than ever. We talk about the movie he helped score called The Hacker Wars, which I really recommend. It's about Anon and all that stuff. And he did a bunch of music for that. And so it's great sitting down with Whitey Cracker because I only see that guy these days like for a few hours every year. It's really rare when I get to hang out with him. I went to his apartment in Beverly Hills and uh, hung out with his family, and it was great. So this is my episode with Y.T. Cracker. Thank you all for coming to see us on the Mount Nerdcore Tour. Thanks to my tour mates. Thanks to the Patreon supporters. And uh, yeah, hope to see you at one of the upcoming shows. And we're going to end this episode with Oneonta, which is a song with Whitey Cracker, Frontalot, and myself from the Digital Gangster LP. It was the first song we wrote for that album. I thought it would be appropriate to end the episode with that introspective flavor. It's your friend MC Lars, thanking y'all, and here is the interview with Bryce Case Jr. That's his real name. It's Whitey Cracker.
So last night I uh, saw this movie and it's called Citizen Kane. And I was when I was parking the car to come see you, I was thinking, huh, Citizen Case. Citizen Case. Bryce Case Jr., a man, a man of um, great fame, great, an incredible discography that's untouchable, a great live show, who was one of the Gen 1 nerdcore rappers who's still putting out great music, who still performs, who's got an amazing family, and he's got a dark side and a light side. And we're here in his spot in Beverly Hills. What's up, Bryce? Well, how you doing, MC Lars? What, what's going on? I know this is early for you to be up at 11 a.m. on a Sunday. It is a little early. Normally, I'm still in dreamland by now. But if you're coming over, I, I got to get up. I'm, I'm sipping tea, so we're good. The last time I saw you was, um, what was it, MAGFest probably? Uh, I believe so. Um, that sounds like. So, so that would have been almost a year ago. It doesn't, doesn't feel like a year. Does it doesn't. It? Doesn't. We we usually do that though. We like it's like some boomerang things. We see each other We're just passing by, and it's wonderful. It's good. Um, I have to thank you for a lot of things, but one of them is the Digital Gangster LP, which uh-huh. we made very quickly. Very quickly. And I had been, you know, ro- my Robot Kills record had taken me years, and. You and I put our heads together and we're like, let's do this project. Let's release it quickly. You coded this thing that was like a precursor to Kickstarter or Patreon where people kind of crowdfunded and pre-ordered it, which we we broke even instantly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that was before all that. That's I forgot about that. That's true. Yeah. Fall. It came out October of 08. So 10 years ago, man. And we were uh, we were kind of doing the little press junkets there with all the internet personalities at the time, like Irina and... uh, what was the the Mr. Internet show? It was there. There was that um, Martin Sargent it went on his right. show. Yeah, yeah. These early people and like um, that record. It's interesting. It's like I see it as kind of like a. I mean, not to be too lofty, but it was like the chronic of nerdcore of that era because everyone was on that record and all those people who have still kept doing stuff have done pretty great. Yeah, yeah. K Flay. I mean, <laughs> okay. that, that we were alluding to. Uh, yeah, no, but everybody. Yeah, and, and that was a great. That was a great record because we didn't know we didn't have any of the song concepts. We didn't have any of the beats. We just wound up in San Francisco and then kind of did it all at the Rondo Brothers as 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 went along, which is a really cool process. I think uh, it's almost like a, a hackathon, like a song challenge sort of thing, and it, it was was codified and turned into an album. And we had that like. We stayed, I think we stayed with my friend near there and we just were on a crazy schedule. And shout out to Jim specifically and Brandon because they kept up with us. They did. Like, so one of us would be on the porch writing a verse and the other one would be in there tracking. And it was just like, I'd never worked with anyone whose energy and talent forced me to grow lyrically. You always would come with quick, like complicated cadences and flows and concepts. I was like, you made me, that album definitely made me a better rapper. And touring with you on with Frontala and Chris, like around that time, made me a better rapper so i i have you to thank for that man and i don't say it enough but like you are a huge part of my success thank you Uh, i i would say the same thing with you i uh every i think every other artist you work with uh kind of sharpens you a little bit and you and you definitely had that same effect on me i it was it was great a lot of the uh kind of the the hype man pair rapping that we did we we got that shit down to a science to a point where um yeah, I, I don't know. It was very fluid, awesome to watch, awesome to be a part of. Uh, be elevated my game, too. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. No, dude, and our shows were always really great. Very great. Because we learned each other's stuff. Like, when you play solo, I always want to run up and just do, like, 
like um, Surge Runner and and all your. I want to hype your lyrics because and sometimes I, I just should jump up there and grab the mic. Always, right? yeah. You have a total invitation to do that, I've, and I've even. I've invited a lot of fans to come up and do it with me and stuff. And I mean, it's, it's one of those experiences, especially, well, I mean, as a rapper, I enjoy it, but you know, as a fan, you know, even like, because I'm a fan of you, I'm a fan of Raheem's, like, it's good that when we sort of include each other on our, on our stuff. And so, yeah, even if there are, are songs that we're not on, uh, it's good to share them as if, we are so with that we're a crew i mean it's like anticon was like the precursor to us like those indie and 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 def jux and def rhyme jux, yeah all these dudes who who insp- dudes and women who inspired us like when we started and but no one wanted to really invite the nerdcore guys to the party so no. once said something like i remember this was so cruel and spin some article on nerdcore was like you know these guys these guys won't be at coachella they're never even in the tent in the parking lot of Coachella. They're not even 10 miles away playing on the street on the way to Coachella. So we built our own Coachella. Yeah, we did. We did. And uh, that wound up failing miserably too, but uh, that's not, that wasn't our fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, well, I think it's so... That, oh, we went to Amsterdam, dude. We played we that did. festival in Amsterdam. We did. That was crazy. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, there's another story I'll have to tell you later. Uh, but... Um, you can't tell it on the mic. I, I just won't tell it on the mic because it, it's it putting something on blast. But Fair enough. You'll find it funny. Okay. Uh, but the the thing about rap now is uh, it's it's very there's a lot more nerdy references and stuff than ever before, and I think that that whole struggle and plight of being a nerd as it was when we were kids. Uh, now it's really not even there anymore that I don't, I think kids are still getting made fun of and bullied and everything like that. But the stigma of being a computer nerd or a lit nerd or something is not as, as great as it used to be. So there's some of the stuff I think that we have that's a little bit lost in translation as far as, you know, the, I mean, the bullied stuff sticks, but now it's actually cool to know computers and everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket and, and this stuff. So if you know how to work those devices, then you're, you know, awesome. But there was a point where they weren't as, you know, proliferated into the public. So uh yeah. the, the nerd life has done some some interesting things. But yeah, nerdcore <laughs> and the, its subject matter has weaseled its way into the mainstream a lot more. And so that's been interesting to see. I mean, and I saw uh, Weird Al Friday and we were having lunch. You were talking about like how 2006, you know, when he dropped White Nerdy was mm-hmm. like this this sea change that he said he kind of rode this tidal wave where the culture of nerds, suddenly everyone realized, oh, these are the people who create all the cool stuff we love. And these are the architects of the culture. And hip, I was talking on the earlier episode with this editor, Eamon Dolan, about how hip hop kind of made us familiar and ready for what uh, the internet would become, right? Like Bombada sampling craft work or like the subway cars with graffiti and then hip hop moving moving across the world. Like it taught us to think in a very cut and paste postmodern way and be accepting of different cultures, hopefully. And you were the genesis of that, man. You were like in the nexus of those two cultures. And I always loved how you took uh, Tupac's thug life and made it nerd life. Nerd life. Well, and, and the... One thing in defense of Tupac, uh, I think that he was a nerd. If you look at his older interviews and stuff, like he's almost effeminate, like something that would, you know, made fun of. But he was super into drama and reading and all these pursuits that one would consider kind of like geek and outcast. And, and then as he 
grew up, I mean, obviously he always had that social justice in him, you know, fighting for uh, the oppressed and, you know, especially in African-American culture. But it's one of those life imitates or art imitates life uh, sort of things where he became something that I don't really think that, that was really him that, you know, for the cameras, he was this brash, you know, thug and, you know, daring people to shoot him and stuff. But, you know, you're talking about a well-read uh, very art- intelligent, articulate man who, I mean, under other circumstances, he might have found himself a, a professor at Harvard or something like that. So uh, even Tupac, you know, I think became, inst- you know, had he embraced that, just that side of himself and only stuck to that, then, you know, who knows what what he would have been doing today. But uh, he'd probably be alive. He'd be, probably be alive. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had too many shootings within the nerdcore community. Uh, I count zero, I think. So uh, we're good. But, you know, on that topic, touring with you, we'd stay with fools who had like automatic weapons that they'd be like flashing around, blazed and drunk out of their minds. Yeah. And, and I'd be in the door with a push button lock, like hoping I wake up. That guy died. That guy, that guy whose house we stayed at with all those guns. Like, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah, he's dead. What not, happened? Not, not by a gunshot. He, he was making uh, large quantities of drugs and he, uh, he had like these vats of like acid and bad stuff, and he the fumes killed him. But uh, yeah, that's tragic. It is tragic, but, but <laughs> like you you choose live by the live by the sword, die, die by, by the, the sword, sword. Die thing. And and that's where you're saying about being the nexus to this like juxtaposition of of uh, you know gangster and digital gangster. <laughs> I, I right, yeah, I, I I probably did. Especially um, now, I'm like older. I'm more of like a gray beard, and I'm OG type thing. So that you know, really going to the guns isn't my first thought anymore. But there was a point in time where I was very uh, violent natured or something. I had a big chip on my shoulder. Well, there were many. I mean, just for pure candid honesty, where you'd we'd be rapping on stage, and later I would learn you'd had you had a gun in your waistband, like ready in case something happened. And like, so I always never wanted to. piss you off because i'm sorry no no i'm just saying that like it was a very hip-hop moment uh, you don't are you you're not strapped right now no, i'm not you? strapped right now okay. no but it, it was just but the, you ha- probably have weapons in your house uh no okay no, I don't have weapons here okay uh don't tell well maybe i do but uh the um plead the fifth plead the fifth the thing is with with me my, so the the fact that i have of some of the weirdest stalkers and uh, just very off kilter people in my sphere of influence. Um, yes, you did. And so, and I met them all. <laughs> you met, you met quite a few of them. Yeah. And so as a result, uh, like it, it, you would, you would know why I carried a gun just in case any of these, like those fools tried to step. So that, that there was, I mean, it, it wasn't just doing it for the sake of hip hop. I, I really did feel threatened at some points so that I may have to, I may have to use this thing. So, uh, right. yeah. yeah but. And, and it was like this, uh, rolling with you, I felt like gave me this gangster credibility that as I got older, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I'd never met anyone like you in the world. There's no one like you in the world. And you're so, your backstory. So back in the day, this is ridiculous. When you were a minor, you hacked NASA's website, right? And yeah, sh- and um, among other things. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, Can you, or is it like? Oh yeah, it's totally okay. Um, it's just uh, I I found it. I I just 
hacking became like a drug to me and I just really fell in love with it and you know being where you weren't supposed to be and uh it was just fascinating so I sort of was just growing and growing to more sizable targets uh more visibility I just I really wanted people to I don't know so it's the thing is it's like web graffiti graffiti is like one of those elements of hip-hop sure thing, and it's getting up and so you know, if you if you're doing like some drainage ditch in the middle of nowhere, no one's ever going to see your piece. Uh, so what I was doing is I was defacing like, like big federal federal websites like NATO and FAA and NASA and uh, like Honda, Nissan. You were a high school kid. And I was a high school kid. Yeah. And but I was doing it for the purposes of I mean, really, like I would go to school and then I would come home and then I would just get on my computer and start you know, killing government websites. Did your, did your parents know you were like up to this? Nah, they didn't. How were they not, how were they, so they weren't responsible that it was, the internet dial-up was through their names? Uh, no, I, by that time, I had DSL in my house. I paid for myself. Like, so uh, they could have been in trouble, huh? Nah, not really. Okay. I mean, it's not like, I guess that, uh, there's probably some stretch where they could f asset forfeiture, you know, things that were used in the crime. I mean, they did take my hard drive and they took my, took a bunch of discs and stuff uh, for discovery. But the biggest thing was is when I, I was just kept going and going and going. And I was a part of a couple of bigger hacker groups at the time. We hacked like army, the Navy, like everybody just, it wasn't, didn't matter. But, you know, to me it was this, uh, it says graffiti is just getting up. Um, and then there was one of our guys in this other group that I was a part of. He actually, he broke into a, a satellite system um, called Miser. And in, he tried to delete the logs on the server. And instead of deleting the logs, he deleted everything like on that box. And so with machines that are, critical they would have these logs that would print out in real time kind of like you know these long these so was he he was hacking the satellite or like hardware that was linked to the satellite he didn't even know what the box he was on he's a 15 okay. year old kid and right. just like you know just it was a government box and so he's just goofing off but the the thing was is that the logs uh you know we didn't have cloud backups and stuff at that time the infrastructure wasn't there so the idea was uh he just rmrf'd the root of the machine but the logs were printing in real time so when they are they when they went back forensically to see what is rmrf sorry i don't it, know that. that's a that's a unix command okay to delete everything without asking me yes or no and and recursively the dash r is for recursive and dash f is for he was trying to cover up his trail trying to cover his tracks but tracks, yeah. instead of covering up his tracks he deleted everything but the logs printed out in real time and so forensic investigators were able to go and look just at the logs, the hard copy logs they had, and they saw what happened. And then one of the uh, NASA admins, his name is Space Dog, he got on our IRC server and he got in our channel and he says, you know, OIG, which is the Office of the Inspector General, like uh, NASA has an, a law enforcement arm where they carry guns and they have badges and stuff. And he was he was like, they're looking for all you. And I'm telling you, they got paper on all you, blah, blah. blah. Like, well, he was. How did he know it was linked to, to that? Because the defacement that was put up had our IRC channel, like shouts to the homies and IRC channel and everything like that. On, you know, again, no one, this was before 9-11 and all that. So, I mean, it wasn't like you're going to get your hands cut off. 
but now though now don't do it forever yeah yeah it's a bad idea so sheepdog basically came on and he told us was he so that was his his uh code name that was his that was his handle that's what he logged into irc as he had a handle like he was on irc anyway he he was on why did he tip you off i don't know but he basically just said, that, you know, you have an opportunity to turn yourself in. It's not like he had the authority to do this or anything like that. But he, I think that he, I'm pretty sure that he was higher up there in the, in the echelons of, of NASA administration because he, he knew what was going on. And, so, and that's what he just said. They have paper on all you. Like, you can turn yourself in or get your door kicked in. And so he gave me a number to call. I called him and I admitted who I was. I never was really that careful about um, tracks, but... The whole thing that was crazy is there was seven different federal agencies and the Texas. I was hacked Texas Department of Public Safety, which is like where they issue their that's their their police department stuff. Were you living in Colorado Springs? I was living in Colorado Springs at the time. I hacked okay. every school district in Colorado. I hacked a police department in Colorado. So, Basically, war games with Matthew Broderick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same in the same city. Right. Uh, then so what was the bureaucracy which is nuts is oig made first contact with me but when i finally got the discovery and oig is nasa's um office of the inspector general yeah Yeah. so they actually flew out to me the thing was is that at the same time there were seven different agencies that had an open file on me and if you know how the government bureaucracy is hard to talk to each other that they were like look the fbi might still kick in your door and you won't have anything here because we just took it. But, you know, they had to get word out to all the other agencies that OIG had the the collar, I guess you could say, and for them to stand down. Luckily, none of that happened. But, yeah, I, I found out later, like in my discovery, there's literally just reams of paper in it. And it's all from these different agencies and the various amount of information. I was being followed by the Colorado Springs Police Department. They had a detective, Detective uh, Bill DeHart. He was following me around. You know, and, and the FBI had a file. The FBI had an open file, and they were surveilling me. Uh, but yeah, OIG, I let them in my house. They didn't have to kick the door down or anything like that. So if you had not been a minor, you would have got seen some serious time. Maybe it's a it's a possibility. I mean, there were people that I was working with that uh, were overage at the time. Uh, but it, it that cyber attacks. That's the whole thing. Is on these sites when I defaced them, I would put you know this that you know, admins need to learn their stuff. And, and it's, it's, be- it's better to show people that than tell them that, like, I can tell you like, Hey, you know, your st- stuff is insecure. You may or may not believe me, but you know, you show them, it gives, it lights a fire under them to, to make sure that they've fixed it. And yeah, I remember seeing this news piece on you. You had like a, it was like case of crash, throw your hands in the air. Why, yeah. Why? That was like my, a trademark like it was yeah no it was, and you said i'm a patriot i'm just trying to make the america a better place yeah yeah well where did you that was your your trademark but you put that on the nasa site or the fbi's everybody like i had they all got that they, html they all got well i had different I, I had you know what a midi file is yeah yeah so i had these midi files that would play and then i would rewrite the lyrics of the songs to like some hacker stuff like a weird al type set type thing <laughs> but uh like i've been messing with sir but anyway uh it, they just had these different pieces uh yeah. but but the whole thing was just this rising awareness and you know i said if we're this vulnerable from cyber attack from a 17 year old you know kid who's doing this in his spare time imagine a state actor uh, and here it is, you know, almost 20 years later, and it's a huge topic in the it's, media. It's the topic. It is a huge, yeah, it's deciding elections, it's making kings, <laughs> it's doing all kinds of things. So that it was just a prescient 
thought I had back then that, you know, there, this is where it's, it's going to, the battleground's going to be in the future. But this is why you're, you are the true nerd core because hip hop is about doing something with nothing, right? Talk about that a lot on this podcast, this idea of circumlocution. You speak around using the tools you have to say old things in a new way. True. Right. And so you were using your, and having the skills show and prove, right? You had the skills, the computer skills and the knowledge of like the cultural connection with hip hop is defacing and leaving your mark, but for good. And you know, as much as you paint yourself as a dark horse and you've, you know, maybe done some things that you wouldn't do again. You, I think, feel like you're a good guy, Bryce. Do you? Would you agree? Or are you a good guy or a bad guy? I always describe myself as chaotic neutral. Like it's the Dungeons and Dragons alignment, and uh-huh. so gen- generally, you know, <laughs> like you have your lawful good, you know, you have your chaotic evil, and I'm chaotic neutral. Uh, that I would say that for the most part, I I do th- I impose my own moral code to things and so as a result my moral compass wherever however it points north on certain things that you know i'll justify breaking into this server which is the illegal thing to you know be amplify my message then right. that's you, you would not consider that lawful good you would not consider that you know in the, in the stream of law but i pretty much you know there's things that i do you know, if if I was starving on the streets, uh, homeless or whatever, I'd, you know, I'd have to find some sort of hustle. You know, and if and if I have to grift to do it, you know, to feed my family, then I'm gonna do that. So, uh, luckily, I'm not at that point. But that's the whole the chaotic neutral thing is always really rang true with me because I I think that there's a lot of things that just wind up by default winding up in the public good or things that maybe have a positive net outcome. Sure. Uh, but the means to which I do that, like Robin Hood or something, you know, robbing the tax, you know, the tax takers to give to the taxpayers sort of thing is from the taxpayers perspective, it's great. But from the, the government, they're like, this guy sucks. Like, I'm sure you're on a lot, hella, hella lists. I'm on a few lists. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 You know, I start. We started this conversation talking about Citizen Kane and Citizen Case, and it's it's an interesting story of this guy who kind of inherits the world and starts out. You know, spoiler alert: he starts out good and becomes kind of like not so good. And I feel like maybe that's the opposite for you. What well, was? It Have was, you seen it? It was based on William Randolph Hearst, right? Who right. Was a, exactly. uh, he was a publishing magnate, and uh, well, the whole the. That, that's the thing is Rose Rosebud right. it, it's the is the spoiler I don't want to give the spoiler out but I just did uh, fast forward 30 seconds fast if you haven't seen yeah, it yeah, yeah. or if, if you haven't seen, seen The Simpsons with Burns if you haven't seen Citizen Kane but uh, like you know that's it's a tale like there's a man it, it's all it's, I think it's considered the greatest film of all time yeah. you know by a great number of people but that uh, yeah you know the things that the thing that you want is his wagon you know, like the yeah, his sled because sled, it was or sled, yeah. His ma- his connection to his childhood before this magistrate took him away. The mom they found oil on the yard, right? So the on their property, so the, in Colorado, in Colorado, yeah. So the mom wanted him to have a better life, and the dad was kind of abusive, and he and the sled was this metonymy for his childhood. Childhood, right? yeah. It's represented, yeah, the innocent times or simpler times or whatever. You were about to explain that, and I just cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I said wagon instead of sled. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. I was, I was looking at something, but yeah, that's that, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So that sled, I mean, to extend the metaphor, 
to you, I think it's like your rhyme skills. Like it's this thing that that you're you being a rapper. There are a lot of hackers, but you and David from Dual Core are like a few of the ha- really successful rapper hackers that I know. I'm sure there are tons more. I, I, I think that's it. Well, I mean, there's Vapor. There's a few other guys that are doing it. But what's well, what's fascinating to me is that I'm in the twilight of my life. I'm 36. I think you are. We're we are. We're like yeah, we're, we're getting older. What's your birthday? I'm October 6, 82. I'm August 23rd. So I'm like right a little bit older. But the yeah. uh, the biggest thing that it baffles me is that there hasn't been some 19 year old equivalent of you know little pump or something coming along in the hacker rap scene and is making a gigantic splash uh, that. We are, you know, Dualcore and I are pretty much the alpha and omega of this this movement. And I've been trying to find Padwans for a long time, like who to pass the torch to and who to get. There's a guy, there's this kid, Armand, who's sort of trying um, to, to do stuff. But it's it's really good because the subject matter that I write about, no one can bite it really because you have to have a very deep knowledge so of, to speak so to speak uh bite be what the uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> the uh the whole content of our songs that really dual core and i can only bite off each other that it, you know if you're there's only so many ways to rap about doing drugs and people are finding them every day uh but in the computer world it's good because the the music that we create is very authentic and it's it there's really no one that can fake that type of thing. Right. So, but that's where you have to. So it's just like you with your vast knowledge of literature, you would have to dedicate your life to two pursuits, which is musicianship and also, you know, uh, uh, older literature and stuff. So, so it requires this uh, educated background so you have a barrier to entry to get into this sort of thing if you want to do it or not but i really would love to see some 18 year old 19 year old kids you know doing what i did coming up and then just taking just knocking me off the throne so i don't have to worry about this anymore because uh, <laughs> then when that happens it's good but yeah and that's interesting like what's more terrifying than a kid in his or her room uh with bots influencing world history, right? That's like right. the real, that's the real thug life. That is. And at, maybe these kids are, they, being a rapper, it's put, you put yourself on blast or you brag about it. Like you hear stories about rappers who like describe their crimes in Self-snitching. detail. Self-snitching, yeah. Yeah, then yeah. it's like, I don't know. I mean, I learn a lot from your songs about technology and the world and like Bitcoin Baron, you were up on that early with yeah, the cryptocurrency. Yeah, and that wasn't even the, the first songs I did that mentioned Bitcoin were in 2012, uh, like the year before, like part of my Earthbound albums and stuff. But yeah, that and so that's another thing, the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency stuff, by being in the technological fields, like you have your finger on the pulse of all this crazy new technology and stuff. And and cryptocurrency as a cypherpunk spoke really really hard to me because of the it that it, it sounds like a cult when people talk about cryptocurrency and bitcoin i think a lot of people really don't truly understand it but i love disruptive technologies i love things like bitcoin and the things that it could do for society a lot of our problems that we have with you know, voting and notary public and uh, titling deeds all sorts it uh it solves all these problems and 
people are just kind of looking at it like money. And that's part of it, but it's really more the technology itself, the underlying technology. It has a lot of applications, some of which we may not, we don't even know yet. You know, it's still very much in its infancy. Uh, so when I did it, it was super proto. It was very, very little. And now it's it's grown to something where, I mean, I, I remember when CNBC was every minute it was talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. So, so you've done well off crypto, I imagine, with, with being an early adopter. I've done very well, yeah. And like, luckily... That the majority of this stuff happened in my like late twenties and, and thirties and stuff. So, as a result, I would say that when I was younger, I was much more brash and like traditional rappy, flashing cash all the time and doing like all you'd that. be rapping and you'd throw a grand into the audience, the audience just yeah. for fun at these conventions. Yeah, yeah, that was. I was like, time. is that real? Yes, he just <laughs> threw a thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> or LOL money with yeah, that LOL YouTube money. video where you're just counting your money. Counting money, yeah. That I'm not as that yeah, I'm not as brazen with my I don't flex that hard anymore. Uh, I think that's that, that's funny to see too on Vine and Instagram. It's everyone just flex, 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 flex. But I, I it, there's no point to it. And part of the cool thing about Bitcoin and everything is no one knows how much you have, you know, they, unless they know my, my addresses and know my private keys like this. So it's a very difficult thing for people to trace. And uh, if you know what you're doing and so you can anonymously live fairly well if you want to. I remember that one year at South Southwest, they had Bitcoin ATMs. Yeah. You remember uh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, um, so the question is figuring out the best way to convert it to other assets is like, part of the skill, right? Because I'm sure like the Bitcoin ATMs took a really huge commission. They do take big commissions. Um, one of the, so one of the biggest problems that it solves is remittance. Like the, <clears throat> instead of having to pay Western Union $15 to send a hundred or something, uh, it just depends on the fees of the network at the time. You know, you can send up to, you know, however much you want, you know, millions of dollars or $1 or whatever. That, so the advantage as far as being able to send money anywhere and anywhere, any to anyone anywhere is really awesome. Uh, but where you're seeing, I, I don't think the use case is made well here in the first world in America. It's places where the country's having huge deflationary or inflationary currencies or huge inflationary currencies like, like Venezuela has been a good case study for it. Um, <clears throat> Greece, because uh, the whole the value store of Bitcoin being an international currency, borderless, decentralized, you're able to have this medium of exchange across anywhere. And that's the thing is if to like if you walk into a gas station here in America with a five euro note and you try to buy something with it, the cashier is going to turn you away. But that's perfectly legal currency in you know, a bunch of countries. Like why won't they take this thing? And so it's because they haven't adopted the euro as an official currency. So the more traction that Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency gets on these international levels, then it's going to be much easier to walk into a 7-Eleven with some Bitcoin and be able to buy something or whatever cryptocurrency happens to happens to win out. But that's the biggest thing is it's just about acceptance and adoption uh, with it. So the more people that <clears throat> are willing to accept cryptocurrency as a payment method, you know, if I want to pay you a Bitcoin to mow my lawn and you'll take it, you know, or you'll take if I give you this piece of paper, or I, you know, give you a cup of tea or whatever. It's just a barter system. That's all currency is. Right. And like people who like I remember 
took a minute for people to accept that PayPal was like legit, mm -hmm. right? Syncing it with your bank accounts and trusting that. And of course, that has more sort of like the government's watching what you do with PayPal. It's, tra it's traditionalist. Um, yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> now, all like most financial transactions uh, exist as just numbers in a computer that right. know, no one is, you know, taking a wheelbarrow full of cash down to Wells Fargo when they buy their house. I mean, maybe somebody is, but that it, all your money that's in a bank right now is just ones and zeros. I mean, somebody just hits the delete key and you're broke, like, or whatever. <laughs> that's just the, the rub of it. So it's a little bit more of a, the concept is not that difficult to grasp, you know, right. all your money is on a debit card or something like that. So, and it's like the real value as an indie musician is who, you know, and your passion and your creativity. And it seems like that's just a lot of the way people like you have survived so well, both as a musician and in this changing world, like your knowledge and your and your connections and the people you trust is your is in such an asset. It's everything, right? I think more than ever in this, in today's world, uh, and it's where I believe in, in karma and how that manifests itself is that the people that you meet along the way, everybody you see on the way up, you see on the way down type thing, you know, and there's people that burn each other and there's people that try to get rich quick and they'll screw people over and scam and, and do those types of things. But the where you wind up reaping what you sow is in this day and age, you know, Bill Cosby, for instance, you know, got away with all the stuff that he was doing for years and years. He was open secret. But then now it's like you can take a video of Hannibal Burris in a club and then it blows the lid on this entire scandal type thing that it's very it's hard to hide from you know your actions if you're truly a, a terrible person you know that stuff will come come to light and so mm -hmm. these this day and age I, I find that the trust networks that we build as human beings and how we leverage them is more under the microscope than than ever and and it gets around i mean people that like MC Chris, for instance, like I see like people when they comment about him, you know, there's, it's a very polarizing topic that some people are like, oh, I saw him do this at a show and it was terrible. And then you have a hundred people chime in and yeah, but he also signed my dying friend's shirt. And then you have mm -hmm. a million people there that are saying this stuff. So, uh, who, you know, whatever the accuracy of those comments are, you basically are getting this whole democratic input on the, social credit of a human being and i think say by and large anybody who's ever met you you know you always see you know met lars in manchester right bloke or whatever <laughs> you have a very joyful and good good moral disposition so that reflects itself on you, you have that too and you've created goodwill for yourself and that's a great this is a great uh departure to our next topic so when i talked to to raheem he talked about the two things that kind of made him realize he could do the Mega Man raps. The first was the Coco Brothers uh, Super Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about how when he heard Nerd Rap Entertainment System, it blew his mind. And that was like the, if not the defining rap album for him, one of his most important rap albums. And you know, Mega Man has like eclipsed us all. And yeah. Like kills it and he does great. And you, you, did you ever think that record would like motivate and inspire so many people? Um no i didn't <laughs> and then random he's told me that story uh multiple times uh and said it on stage and stuff super humbling like and it's very crazy to be a part of his musical journey um but the thing that i you can't 
you can't separate Raheem from how hard he works. He's the he's honestly the hardest working artist I think I know in that respect. Like he's he's constantly on top of his game. Like he's great with the the merchandising and his exposure and and how he markets himself. And then he's also like he really loves the WWE and he's been able to do a lot of stuff with them and and you know who knows he may win the the Intercontinental title one day you know, it'd be great to see him actually get in the ring and do some cool stuff but Raheem yeah he's that's a very humbling and amazing thing the fact that he did that uh or the fact that it was an inspiration to him um but he's taken that to levels that I never saw possible I would I would think and, and so I'm I really said he, he it's kind of like Johnny Cash uh, when he covered Hurt by Trent Reznor or whatever. And Trent Reznor made this thing where he said, like, that's that's his song now. You know, I don't really, uh. you know, like, I feel that way. I, I, Raheem really has made the, the, that chip hop thing. Right. Uh, something to be feared. Yeah. Like what Weird Al is to parodies. Megaran is to chip hop. I would say. Yeah, and, that's a great it's a great way to say it. And it's interesting. Turn me on to him. You got me. You introduced me to him. You like told me about him, and you told me to check for him. And at Nerdapalooza, you played with him at Nerdapalooza. When did so? When you and then you know you were for me. You were an introduction to so many people in the scene. And when you made that Nerd Rap Entertainment System album, like that was before you'd heard Front a lot, right? It was actually before you'd heard Chris. Before I, I yeah, before I heard Chris, like I the, the music I was making, I was doing it in this little because a, a lot of my earlier songs, like my first song was called "Spamming for Cash," and it was about like sending out emails, pornographic emails, and making money off AOL online users. And uh, so the majority of the songs that I was making in the um, in the past were uh, just supposed to be funny for a small group of people, you know, and. Then they started to kind of gain traction, and then Nerd Rap Entertainment System. It well, there was this board called General Mayhem, uh, and it was prior to Digital Gangster, that other my forum that I made. But General Mayhem was a spinoff of Hard Forum, and it was kind of just this goofy forum. But I released NES on that, um, on on that board, uh, posted a link to it, and then from there it just got all this kind of media attention um not like the nerd rap entertainment system album the nerd rap entertainment system album yeah and, and you produced that yourself right? i produced it all myself i did all the beats actually no i all but one of the beats uh silent john did um did the view source beat or whatever but yeah that was i did it in reason and i just was taking nsf like sound like pieces of nsf files which are the nintendo sound files and sampling them and putting them into rex and made yeah. that album but it's very you know just lo-fi uh and but it was just this mashup of th- nostalgic culture and uh nerd stuff yeah and, and it was cool because you what was special about that record is you'd sample something but you wouldn't you know be like sample mario and be like this is my mario rap right like surge runner is an example of a great song where you're nostalgic about coding in the 90s and drinking surge yeah, and we could if we could probably still perform that together. Like that's Easy. so stuck in our brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that one that one's never going away. That one's etched in my brain. And you brought Surge back, maybe. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I I would say I had a small hand in it, if anything. But that was it's just interesting now because for yeah, period there, people were always bringing Surge to my shows. So I, I had more Surge than I could possibly ever drink in a lifetime. Uh, it was awesome. And there was this dude actually before Surge had been brought back. <laughs> it was a show we were on tour and this guy 
we were, I think we were at the merch booth and he came up to me and he was like, Hey, uh, I got something for you in, in my car and, and uh, you, you need to come out and check it out. And I was like, all right, cool. So I just, you know, go out there and he had, he bought like a bottle of surge off eBay, a two liter bottle, you know, for whatever, a hundred dollars or something. Cause it was so rare back from, then. From like the nineties. Yeah. And then we, we popped it open. It was like popping open a bottle of old champagne type thing. We, there's a video of it. I have, but <laughs> it was just real funny. Cause yeah, the fact that, <laughs> You know, fans go to that length. We have a toast with old. What did it surge. taste like? Tasted fine. Tasted. It was a little okay. flat, but I mean, it tasted like surge. So yeah, the classics <laughs> when, never die. When it came back, it had kind of a more of an orange soda flavor. I think. I don't know. They changed it a little bit. Am I wrong? I think your palate changed because okay. I, I remember it. It's pretty. It was pretty accurate. At least, at least as far as I remember. But the thing is, is that <laughs> it, it, it's a. It's a it's a quick path to diabetes now, so I don't think uh, you know it's something I can just have in my diet every day. Uh, I stop soda too. I drink diet coke sometimes, uh -huh. but being dudes in our thirties, like we we ate like beasts on the road. <laughs> we were just reckless doing other stuff. <laughs> it's funny, man, because it's like, yeah, this is jumping ahead, but then like years later, we reconnected. We made the Digital Gangster album. Uh -huh. We did that tour with Front, and there was a moment there when we were in Minnesota where the whole genre. Could have had a Buddy Holly moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I remember we were at the uh, Minnesota Department of Transportation. They'd kind of helped us and stuff. That was cool. And you were walking around singing hymns of praise to the spam god. And I think about that now. Like, you kept saying it could have been curtains, bro. Could have been curtains. Let's detail in. Let's talk about in detail what happened, the physics of that accident. And this is, uh, we don't talk about it a lot, but this was traumatic, dude. And this was like. Yeah, I believe I'm a religious guy, and I believe in God and stuff, and I and I think that that was a moment where my faith was really reinforced. Te it was tested. Call it what you want, but that was like crazy how we we all survived being almost dying <laughs> that that day. Yeah, um, Mark, the keyboardist for I forget what his uh, his little handle was, but he was front of lots. He was like this higher on temp keyboardist for the tour. And he was at the wheel of our van with the trailer in it, and the roads were just icy as as heck. And uh, we were in you know, the left lane, just cruising along in Minnesota. And we had left. Can I can I interrupt? Sorry for yeah just yeah, a, yeah yeah. We stayed at Brandon's dad's house. Brandon had to fly back to New York or something for some family stuff, and so we crashed with Brandon's dad, who was a sweetheart. We left early because we had to get to Iowa. Yeah, and so, Brandon's Black Lotus. He's front lot's bassist. Brandon. Yeah, and we were staying there, and I remember. Mark was driving, and it was a van in the trailer. He hadn't driven ever, ever, and he yeah. was from Russia, and he was like new to the country somewhere. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember exactly where he's from. And I remember we were driving, and he went over a curb, and the whole van bounced. And like I was, you know, twenty six, twenty seven, so I was kind of like, no, I was twenty five, and I was a little bit laissez faire with my seatbelt. I was watching Family Guy on my laptop, and he hit a curb, and the whole van shook. I'm like. Probably should put on my seatbelt. Mm -hmm. This happened right before the story you can tell. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that story, but like I had just put on my seatbelt because I was like, this fool cannot drive that. I was well. in front. Like I was You were in front? I was in the front. Okay, seat. so what happened? So so break it down. Yeah, yeah. So then uh Wow. I'm pulling it back. Yeah. But basically the the freezing point of the ice had just it like the the, the whatever happened to the temperature like it had just kind of gone from being wet roads it was snowing but to, from wet roads to icy and he changed lanes right when that happened yeah right? and he changed lanes and then basically the we had this gigantic trailer filled with all of our music equipment in the back of it and it started to teeter 
and you just felt the van sliding. Like and, boxes probably tumbled in there. Yeah. Well, any yeah, it could have been any type of just weight shift. Uh-huh. Uh, and then luckily that we had a, a, there's a thing a, a device that basically makes sure that the trailer stays attached to the van and luckily that safety device failed but the trailer like we wound up in the middle of the like it was a, a median but one of those dip medians um <clears throat> and we wound up in there and the trailer had flipped and broke and dumped like a tin can all, yeah dumped all of our musical equipment like all over the interstate and the and the median and stuff and uh, that's the cat feeder. Oh. It's automatic. And then like front of lot posters in that flying in the air like Christmas. Yeah. Oh, dude. And 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 what was crazy was we were in the we were on the left lane. It was rush hour. There were cars everywhere. But for some reason, there wasn't a car in the right lane. There wasn't a car out in the two lanes to our right. And because the median, there we couldn't have gone into the other lane. So we spun like six times yeah, yeah, yeah. on the freeway, and the and the trailer snapped off and flew. Yeah. Luckily, didn't hit a car. And I remember looking at Nagin, who was. Front of Lot's friend who was doing the documentary. documentary. I remember looking at her face and that whole moment felt like an hour and she was like crying. And I was like, oh, this is serious. Like at first I was like, Mark, what did you do? Yeah, what did you do? But we kept spinning and eventually we just stopped. We didn't flip. Yep. We didn't go into oncoming traffic. We could have gone into front of a truck. It didn't happen. And, yeah. And it, like you said, it would have been curtains. I probably should. Like, yeah, the seriousness of the situation, I, I, I probably didn't explain the gravity of the situation. Uh, but yeah, that was it. It's like, yeah, we're spinning like a top. Like, yeah, we could have been sideswiped by anybody. Could have flipped. The conditions of the road were bad. So anybody slamming on their brakes, they probably wouldn't have stopped close mm-hmm. enough to not hit us. We didn't cause any a- other accidents. Other accidents. It was just us. Um, Jeez. Yeah. So, but I have a, there's a video on my YouTube that I have right after that where I showed like just the destruction and damage of you know what had happened but uh we wanted to get insurance checks from it which was good we, yeah they quit they were able to brandon had insurance so we were able to get the stuff back i remember i remember the cars all were like wow they started slowing because our musical equipment was all over the highway so we all <laughs> we all had to go out and quickly pick stuff up and salvage cds and then the minnesota the minnesota department of transportation came and the cops came and it was a whole thing. We missed our show, the next show. It's one of the only shows we ever missed. Yeah, yeah. It was Iowa, right? We had to cancel. Yeah. But we want to make in the next one. Uh, I think we had very limited stuff there, though, too. And then uh, finally got everything back. But yeah. The tour didn't stop. And luckily, no. we all lived. And it was just like. <laughs> we hit a deer in. Uh, Portland. Portland, yeah. Damien hit a deer. <laughs> oh, no. That, someone that. hit a deer. Yeah, someone hit. I don't know. If it was, was it Brandon? It might have been. I don't know. That was that was funny. He too. he. Whoever was driving the deer ran in front and he swerved and hit it. But he would have hit. It would have gone through the windshield. Yeah. On this mountain, I had a similar thing in in Wash in Baltimore with I Fight Dragons this year. A deer came out and I swerved around it and it ran right in the car next to me. I saw the car skid over. And oh jeez. Have you had any accidents on tour since we've like anything like that? Here's a crazy story. We were on the Warp tour. Uh, in 2015, I think, yeah, 2015, we were leaving Salt Lake City, and some freaking kid on an overpass threw a water balloon full of ice through our windshield of the tour bus, and the and we had to pull over. There was glass and like like ice shreds and water balloon stuff all over the bus. And if our um, if it had been like one inch to the left, our bus driver would they said it would have blinded him. We would have flipped the, the bus. So we don't know who that kid was, and the cops tried to find him. But like that was not a good prank. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was a good prank in that <laughs> he got us. But we had gotcha. to, we but, had to yeah. get all our stuff out. And for the Denver show, we didn't have our merch. I didn't have my contacts. It was like, but I thought it, when I was like grumbling about like 
I did. Oh, we didn't have our equipment. We, we had our lives. Yeah. Touring right. is the danger of touring is and being on the road is if you're on the road a million miles, 0.001% chance of something oh, yeah. happening is a real messed up. Real yeah, it's going to happen. It's a lot of averages. Had uh, you ever had any more accidents on tour for you? Uh, not. No, no, no. Those were just the, the ones that stood out to me. Um, yeah, even on like the, the when we went the tour with Chris, that was uneventful um yeah yeah i mean this yeah it's but so we might have got out of the way early statistically we may have just gone ahead and <laughs> we paid our dues to early the on. yeah to the to the spam god or to, to your god in your case uh, <laughs> but uh we never but bryce you know we never let anyone would drive inebriated or messed up like no. we're always careful about that i guess on that tour they didn't let either of us drive <laughs> no, no, i i didn't really want to drive driving a trailer sucks. i hate driving so like i just it wasn't even about it uh you know what's interesting is like all the years i've done touring is whenever i go to canada someone in the crew has a DUI, either on the bus crew, or, and then it's two hours, three hours of, of crap trying to get into Canada. That's right. For the first time a few years ago, I was with Cuckoo Kangaroo, and no one had any DUIs, and we just drove in. I'm like, I had no idea this was so possible. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> have a DUI. And I, yeah, every time I've been to Canada, it's just like, welcome to Canada. I'm like, all right, cool, thanks. Touring, they don't want people in there who are going to uh, yeah, be dangerous drivers. So touring is interesting because it's you sacrifice a lot. Did you like be on the road or did you like miss your friends and family so i get the itch every once in a while to go back out and it's like yeah. I, I i see my homies i see you i see random um the dual cordis did it chris does it you know i the the one-off stuff always was it's just easier for me and everything and you I mean, make more yeah you make more yeah. uh but the the touring it's just that <clears throat> i know that there's people in like you know, Billings, Montana and Pocatello, Idaho, they're just like, when are you going to come to my town? It's like, probably never, <laughs> like if I don't go on tour. Yeah. So I, I do miss being on tour. Um, one of the biggest factors was, you know, my daughter that uh, that's why I remember Warp Tour, like I wanted to do Warp Tour, but it that's a whole summer. It right. like, really takes forever. And so uh, R.I.P. War tour, but uh, that mm. it just it would have taken away from my time, you know, her, and that's more precious, I think. Uh, but and she's uh, in high school now, she's right? She's fifteen. Yeah, she's a sophomore. Oh my God. But um, yeah, the the touring, I I do, I miss like because you really we bro down, you know, you really connect with people and like, we would we would we would always be up late like you and i we always we were like brothers we'd always tickle like make each other laugh so hard and sturgis, sturgis drummer Hated was it. not having us like in the hotel like <laughs> laughing and joking until three or four in the morning God damn it i'm trying to get some sleep and yeah. so we'd get kicked out to the hotel lobby yeah so remember once this is a funny story we were i wonder if you remember this we were like in new orleans or something we were in the lobby and this guy comes in looking for a room and they're sold out and so we tried to be heroes and we bring him all these muffins from the cereal bar. Uh -huh. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he brings it to his wife and she was like mad because there was like the muffins weren't enough. And he was like yelling at her and we're like, well, we just escalated <laughs> yeah, the situation. No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> Stuff like that. Like being, we were both like reckless and, but it was all in good fun. I think in your 20s, you're supposed to be like annoyed grumpy musicians in their 30s and 40s yeah, yeah sturgis is not not the only guy we pissed off by the way no 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 i think we <laughs> i think we just did it to everybody but we just yeah we just love and I, the thing i loved about going on tour with you was that we would always take those side missions like oh let's go see the liberty bell or 
Yeah. Oh, let's go do that. Yeah, you're always about the historical stuff. And there's, so there's a lot and of... You had energy to come do that with me, which I loved. Yeah, I dude, I loved it. Because we... Yeah. yeah, we get to take in the city and the culture and see some stuff around there. So that was an awesome experience. You know, you've been to every state in the United States. And you've kind of seen, you know, the different places to offer. And so it's like dine-ins and dives. You know, we, we had that whole experience... Uh, which that was amazing. But and it was, I mean, it was fun. Like, like that tour specifically, it would be like kids waiting to see us play. It would be like some art space that was a PA was brought in. People were playing magic on the ground, magic gathering. Like I toured with all the <sighs> punk bands and ska bands and pop punk bands and like other rappers. And it was seeing that this was a really a movement mm-hmm. and that was cool. That, that was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the digital gangster, your friends that your hacker friends who came, I'd learned from them and they uh-huh. caused mischief. <laughs> and, oh, they were out of their minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were always just like <laughs> renting penthouse hotels and like getting crazy. Do yeah. you know? Do you want to know something funny? Yeah. Is December first, uh, ten years ago, G Easy opened for us in New Orleans. That's true. Yeah, that, it was December first. It was December first, and like that, <laughs> ten years ago, G Easy was opening for <laughs> Front of Law and me and you. <laughs> well, I remember that. I remember that story because it, it was, was at the, the Howlin' Wolf. And God, the, you have a great memory. I just I remember some things. Yeah. And he, I remember it was like, it was he was at school there, and it was definitely not one of our most attended shows. No, there was like th- three people there. And like, he was, and the fact that he had like, um, he had some f- friends there, so we we're like, you can go last, you can close the show. And I remember the promoter said that to him, and he goes, "That's what's up." Like he knew, and then for months he would uh, sit on AIM ask because we were going to do that tour with K Flay the next the next winter, which we didn't for some reason, but he wanted to open that tour. He would have done it for free. I don't know if you knew this. So for months, he would hit me on AIM. We were going to work on music. That's crazy. Imagine if that tour had happened. Kate Flay and, and Jay-Z it's opening easy. for us. Yeah. What if that's the reason their career did blow up? Like if they had gone on that tour, <laughs> they'd still be like playing the three people album. I remember Jeezy was like, he knew I was from Oakland and he was very like friendly and nice. And like, he was just a cool guy who, had the looks and the style. And yeah. then I saw him on Warp Tour a few years after that, and he gave me a hug. He was like, yo, that show was crazy. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, him and his homie, they were backstage. They were a trip. The that dude was... with upside down. His wore his glasses upside yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I remember he had this song. He's like, I'm in the lab getting hyphy like Dexter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was very, like, nerdcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I never share that story. And, like, it's seeing his success has been cool it's great i just i mean i love people doing it i love yeah. to see people just do it and yeah flay is another girl i'm i'm I, I i hit her up every once in a while i'm super proud of her like she's doing things and i think like by abandoning nerdcore that was her her way, <laughs> way to be famous she never wanted to be part of the scene and like that was her what made her a success i guess i i think what made her success is she one found, thing that did she, when she found her her voice like i like she has this sound now that's so like uh unique or whatever i, or I just i'm trying to think of the, the the proper word but she really owns her sound type thing and and once she kind of hit her stride there that's um, where people started to really gravitate towards her, I think, is she found that voice, you know. That yeah, was, and props to her. Like, for whenever I hear about her, see people wear her shirts or whatever, I'm always proud of her. I don't talk to her much. We just talk, When she got her Grammy nomination, I emailed her and congratulated mm-hmm. her. And, like, I saw her a few years ago, again, on Warp Tour. Any of feelings of missing her kind of turned into feelings of pride and um, appreciation for that talent that like having Snoop Dogg on 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 an old Dre record, mm-hmm. having her in the studio made that record special, and that's kind of why people. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like that record, people point to that and go, "Oh, this is this was one of her first 
commercial yeah things. yeah when an artist becomes super popular and then you have all these hipster fans that come out and say like well i was listening to her back then and then yeah. that, that there's people that are just kind of compelled to dig into her older catalog and they'll find you know single find and famous stuff. you know they'll find these you know projects and stuff and it's it is it's a it's almost a totally different K-Flay, you know, uh, it's but it's 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 her getting her chops. It's her just uh, working it out, you know, working her and she like Raheem, she would work twice as hard on things. Yeah. Like I remember when we were doing stuff, she just she wouldn't stop till it was done. And it's because she was is a very hardworking person and she knew what she wanted. And it's funny, man, because I feel like around 2009, 2010, when I did some incendiary blog posts about nerdcore, uh-huh. it became like, oh, this press wave that hit in 07, 08, it's not, it's not, it's not like a hockey stick of like of reputation. Uh-huh. How did that feel when we all realized nerdcore was like kind of maybe a, a novelty and the and the mainstream press perspective? It's, it's, uh, it's well to me some real talk by the way. <laughs> yeah, real talk. So like, uh, so. My initial experiences with the media have always been in terms of in the hacking stuff. And, you know, like I, you know, I was on Fox and NBC and all that stuff when I was 17 type thing. And I and I watched how the media kind of the, the news cycle sort of operates and works or whatever. And then with the music thing, like I saw it kind of the wave that was catching or whatever. I, I wasn't. Uh, what was awesome was like when we did the G4 stuff and then we were like a brand icon for this gamer t- television show. But they're like their Game bumpers. Network. Yeah, we did their bumpers. Who did that beat for that? Was that? That was one of their beats that, really? uh, in, yeah, in-house type things. Um, but that, I would say good things came of it, but I never really expected press to completely embrace it. Like we wouldn't be on hip hop DX and I mean, well, LOL money Raheem was, on, was, yeah, Raheem was, I was yeah. on world star hip hop for yeah. LOL money and stuff, but that, that I, the, there's a barrier to entry to our music largely. And that's the thing is that I would rather be like king of this small devoted mountain of people than, you know, like Drake or anything like that, that honestly, because you see like somebody put out a whack record and they're like, man, that's whack and we hate him now, you know, and then sort of switch teams, you know, it's very acrimonious. But that it, what, what kind of was disappointing to me was that the nerdcore, like what happened is there's a bunch of artists that just, you know, started rapping on their Xbox headset, calling themselves nerdcore, no, didn't know the trade. We're just making crappy music, and because it's crappy, it's nerdcore, and so it brought the quality level of everything down. That's where I think things were unfortunate because second generation, some people. Yeah, yeah. Once that first like the Blender article started hitting, and then you know you saw the Newsweek and everything that mainstream press stuff, then people were just like, "Oh, I could do this too." And then, but they really could do that too because the nerdcore culture is a very inclusive one. And they should. And they should. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm all about getting your art out there. But, I mean, I never really relied on thinking that that was going to be. <clears throat> what made it break us. And the cool thing about you that I always like respected and still do is how you were able to use your hacking chops and your computer skills to do music, make money off of it, enjoy it. But you didn't need a, your song to like get a million downloads to to eat and feed your family. Yeah. That was smart, man. And like in the past few years, you know, I do workshops at schools and I'm doing more education stuff and working on other stuff. But you diversified early and you were able to release this string of like incredible solo r- records that were like 
you killed, you still kept yourself on the throne. And that was like, I always respected that and do respect it about you that you didn't become salty about it, you know? And it's like, cause you knew this was things come and go. And, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Music for me has always been largely just a hobby or whatever. Yeah. And that I'm super fortunate. And, and as, as you probably know this too, like there's millions of kids that would kill to be in our shoes. Like, even the level of fame that we're at or whatever I'm at, you definitely, you know, bigger than me in that sense. But there's that, that I, sometimes I feel bad because I do take it for granted, you know, that uh, the opportunity, the fact that we, you know, we could tour, go to pretty much every city in the United States and there'd be somebody that shows up, you know what I mean? Like that's something that's very unique to a very small, small group of people that are, that are musicians. There's a lot of musicians in their bedroom that just can't get the listenership. They don't have the, people following them around. I don't like that. So, uh, I, I know that I'm very fortunate in that regard that I still have the the fan base and people that are listening, uh, which is great. Uh, and you, well, and you also like, it's cool how you've become part of this discussion on the hacker culture and like your music that was in the hacker wars documentary. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. man. I'm like, Oh, I I was watching. I was like, Oh, Bryce has songs in this. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I scored that thing. Yeah. It's a, that's a great documentary, which for those you haven't seen, Please check it out. Yeah, How did that c- come about? That's, that was awesome. Uh, well, I was super involved in the anonymous lulsec type stuff. And so, yeah, Decepticon also, uh, he did. Shout the, out to Decepticon. Shout out to Decepticon. He did a lot of the instrumentals and stuff. But yeah, Dice and I have always been, you know, pretty much a producer pair. Actually, the first beat he ever did uh, for us, for me, was on the Digital Gangster LP. It was for us. And, and stuff, he was so. doing dubstep in like, oh, wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's well, pretty freaking crazy. He was in the, he, he had just had that he was really influenced by the UK drum and bass culture and stuff. So he already had his, his, um, his ear to the ground on, on that type of stuff. Very, been very prescient. Wiltsy. Wiltsy. Brent, Brent, Brent Wiltsy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brian, Brian Wisely or Brent, Brent Wisely or Brett Wisely. That's what we used to call him. He still is that on Skype, Brett Wisely. Cause you used to think his name was Brett Wisely. And so I just started calling him Brett Wisely. But it's Wiltsy. It's, it's Brent Wiltsey. Yeah. Brent. And I called him Brett Wisely. Yeah. Yeah. And so we think, sorry, that's Brent. No, we think it's hilarious. It's great. <laughs> He um and then you did one of my favorite projects of yours is the introducing Niels. Yeah, that was a that was an epic magnum hip hop, yeah, magnum opus. Like I, it was my favorite project, my most ambitious project. Uh, I was on this manic wave from like January of 2014 until September of that year, where I just felt like inspired, like touched by you know, some sort of divine force and the output on that album was amazing. And I, I really liked it, but it's crazy just how much has, is like kind of coming true. You know, it's meant mm-hmm. to be like this science fiction type dystopian sort of thing. But so it, t- so tell it briefly, let's talk about like the, the, the story because it's a very cool story. Um, well, okay, it's it's done in this 80s aesthetic uh, and it's designed to be on a cassette tape. It's like 60 or 30 minutes per side. It's a 60 minute you know, thing, kind of like old audiobooks. books. Yeah. Please, please over to side it be to continue. Uh, but it's just this journey about a hacker named Niels, who's named after Neil Stevenson, who uh, is where I took YT from. Neil Stevenson wrote this book called Snow Crash. Mm-hmm. And uh, YT is a character in that book. Uh, I did not know that. I know that book. She's I- she's a courier. Her name's... Uh, YT, yours truly, YT, she have a YT, but she's a courier, I'm a spammer, so it made sense. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the whole, so Neil Stevenson, you know, he's he's a big cyberpunk author or whatever, but the story is just this hacker. Did he do Snow Crash? He did Snow Crash, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I came from. So he did Snow Crash. Um, yeah. But the whole, uh, 
the whole point of the album is it's just about it follows this hacker named Niels and he lives in this fictional city called San Sequestro. Uh, and it kind of just takes place in, and there's capital city and that's the Washington DC or whatever, but it's, it's like this blend of Miami and, uh, San Francisco. So it's got that eighties Miami vice aesthetic. And I was going to have the whole thing animated and I got some of it animated, but the story just goes that, he has this dream that he's going to get raided. So he quits hacking and he finds a girlfriend and then him, and then all the while they're basically outlawing encryption on the internet. <laughs> and so he decides he can't stand idly by and do th- and wait anymore. So he uh, develops a system, uh, a mesh network basically that kind of becomes this off net thing and it starts getting downloads. Uh, the, government declares it illegal and then they go after him as an enemy of the state. Uh, but I, I won't reveal the twist or anything like that, but that's pretty much the album. And I like how Beaker narrates it like a yeah. news piece. So Beaker is the news guy and, uh, my Beaker friend, from crane droids. Yeah. Crayon droids. Yeah. My friend, Brian, Mycon uh, played a uh, nice guy. Uh, his wife played, uh, my girlfriend in, in the album. So yeah, I just had a vo- voice cast and, Elijah Lucian did the uh, the intro and outro and stuff. It's very, it was very ambitious project and it was, it's a great record. Super, yeah. It's like one of the things that disappoints me and that's just probably pride is that net neutrality has become this gigantic topic in, in the news and on Reddit I see it, you know, up on top, you know, the, the pages all the time and never once in the comments like i'll just quickly try to search for my album you know vainly uh looking (laughs) to see if anybody even mentioned it and no like you know so i just i feel like the problem with that album is it wound up reaching only the ears of people that were going to listen to it anyway when i when i really would have liked a broader broader audience to listen to that one at least and then kind of gotten a handle on what was going on uh with the culture because now it's, you know, every, there's a lot of fights on the net neutrality battleground, but, you know, here I was, you know, four years ago or something like that, saying, predicting, all it. Things, predicting it. Yeah. You've always been ahead of your time. A little ahead of our time, but. Uh, Don't you think, Bryce, though, a lot of thing with net neutrality is like, if you're not on a major label or on a TV show that's being promoted, like through a major network, I mean, is it true that they make it faster to listen to a uh, major label album or, or is it not related? Because I've heard conflicting things. Well, think of it. It's more in, okay, like where there's a dangerous intersection is how Twitter and Facebook, these are private companies. So they're allowed to, you know, like, uh, who was it? Um, uh, who's the Alex Jones? You know, Alex Jones got banned from these platforms, YouTube and stuff because of his incendiary talk show. But he still releases things on his site, on his website. So his fans can go there and see it. And free speech is never meant to pop protect popular speech it's to protect unpopular speech but then twitter is not beholden they don't have to enforce first amendment rights they're a company they're not the government you know so they can take people off where they feel like and facebook and so just because of their hugeness you know they don't really owe the public any like any gratitude or anything like that even though it's they're the ones creating the content you know you'll get these if you have hate speech and nazi stuff going on there then whatever like they're more than ready to take that off but under net neutrality, like you could have that. So if that happens, people could start blocking Alex Jones's site 
um, unless you pay a certain amount or whatever. So, so ISPs could do that. ISPs could do that. Yeah, start yeah. packaging internet. Like here's your social media package. Like here, if you wanted to use Snapchat and Instagram and this, then, and you want it to work faster, then we can use these things. But the internet should be free. Even the shitty neo-Nazi stuff really should have a place on the internet, you know, just because like, that's the thing is it, it, it can be a, this snowball effect. Um, no one has to read those sites if they don't want to. I mean, you have the crazies that are going there and doing it, whatever, but that the net should be neutral. It should have this, you know, for the people, by the people type thing. And some people are saying stupid things. Let them say stupid things in their own corner of the internet and, you know, don't, don't police them. So that's interesting. So like, but it's the responsibility of portals then to be like hate speech or like gore or like, like inappropriate child porn. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, yeah. Horrible stuff that, 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 shouldn't have a voice. I mean, that's a question, right? Because like, if you were to censor a neo-Nazi person, that is maybe stifling his or her rights. But at the same time, it's like, maybe it's a good thing. I well, don't know. The ACLU is has been on fighting for the KKK. They've been on record. You know, they fought for, like the ACLU has been very good about defending those. Their rights to. Right, people's right to this. Yeah, say things. I mean, people do not have a right not to be offended. Like, you can offend people all day long. Like, sticks and stones, you know, don't incite hate. Don't incite riots. Don't incite hate speech. Don't, like, call for the killing of all Jews and blacks and all this. Like, that's, there's, those things are obviously, you know, haram. But in, in the sense of, like, people, like, if Alex Jones wants to make up crazy theories about Sandy Hook being a, you're saying that's his First Amendment right. That's his First Amendment right. Like, he can't do it on Twitter. He can't do it on Facebook. Uh -huh. Those are private companies. But if he wants to do it on alexjones.com and he can find a, a web host that's going to host him and stuff like that, he should be able to do it. So Yeah. Here's a question, though. If, like, saying that hateful stuff, what if it puts, like, poison in people's minds to go out and kill someone because they don't like their religion? Right? Like, where where do you put the ownership in it? And where does where do companies and how does net neutrality tie into that, like, trying to make sure we have a brighter future. That's that's what I wonder. Well, you run into a dystopia where it's this groupthink type mentality where the the progression, you know, of let's say homosexual rights or black rights or uh, trans rights, or any of these things that are, have become topics and as a society we've become in, in infinitely more progressive on. Something that maybe, you know, like you and I earlier like have, you know, we didn't, we never saw a problem with, but the rest of the world at large did. And then yeah. we've seen this sort of move in a positive direction. Uh, that's just because it aligns with our belief system and we think it's right. And that's where I said that chaotic neutral way back, you know, okay. that I'm, I'm going to impose my will on it, on it that way. But uh, if people are going to be swayed by Nazi rhetoric, they're probably susceptible to suggest in any way. So it like, by cutting them off, by silencing these people and not giving them an option or whatever, that is going to make a conspiracy nut think like, oh, the message must be true. Like they're trying to suppress it. You know, the Illuminati is behind this type thing. So, and which I'm sure Alex Jones is already sort of saying in just the stuff he says, it's just crazy inspires the wrong people. Yeah. So, but I do think that should be perfectly allowed. Like, you know, the people that are crazy, the people that are shooting schools up and everything like that are not mentally stable to, to begin with. I mean, you don't have, you don't have mental stability that doesn't even enter your mind type thing. So these people that are, they're not being really radicalized just because of this, you know, what was it? Ket Catcher in the rise. Why uh, Mark Chapman yeah, shot yeah, John yeah. Lennon or whatever. So there's just, 
I mean, you're you're gonna the mental illness thing just needs to get separated from the the message and stuff, and it's, it's like blaming a Judas Priest record on someone killing themselves. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very interesting time because like I like to think we have a brighter future. I like to think we have the tools to so our if we you know the next generation is it's a better world. Like I'm looking at your SpaceX bags over there. Like there's people who are in the tech world who are trying to. Make this a better place. Oh, yeah, yeah. And maybe Twitter, I feel like Twitter and Facebook clamping down on that stuff is a good step forward. I mean, it is, it is, I don't know. Being private, you just hope there's ethical philosopher kings who are running these these institutions. Yeah, right? and that's that's hardly the case. What happens is you could have Mr. Rogers himself running Facebook and stuff, and he might have the most benevolent, amazing... <clears throat> intentions but then he dies and he's replaced by Pol Pot or something like that and you don't that all that power and all that stuff the surveillance ability and everything like that the, the tools of Facebook like once they change custodianship it, it becomes some, a, a beast another beast entirely so that the reason I think that the internet needs that just that level playing field where everybody can talk and say what they want on it and disagree and you can disagree with people and all that stuff and you can troll and everything like it creates a a discourse that is healthy for for humanity so um would you consider yourself a libertarian i would consider myself a libertarian mostly like i'm kind of an anarcho-capitalist but i have explain explain what that means like that fusion of ideas i'm just curious well, okay, so I I totally believe I believe in meritocracy and I believe in what's known as uh, uh, equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. So I'm not so the, the socialist pieces of like where you know you you want to shoehorn in minorities and women into a position or something just by the virtue of the color of skin or sexuality, their gender or whatever that that is not a good way to do things, uh, that people should get into places based on their ability or whatever. Um, I believe that governance is something that can be done. The government should not be this giant bureaucratic entity where there's just too much stuff. I mean, basically, libertarians, you know, believe that infrastructure, the law, you know, a way of facilitating commerce, defense, those are the things that we really should focus on, you know, as a, as a, as a government, the government really shouldn't be running your life as it were. However, I also have seen technology at the rapid rate that it's growing. Um, if you look at, uh, and I think there's a number of entrepreneurs i think even elon musk and stuff has has kind of agreed with this but you know as we see like self-driving cars if they become more of a reality if you think about how many people are out there right now driving like driving buses driving trucks freight trucks you know people driving um the lifts and ubers and, yeah. and all that once you automate cars all those people are going to be dumped onto the workforce with no way to earn a living you know they've been driving a cab for 40 years or something and then that's all they know. Uh, you know, there's this like, I'm sure the guy who made horseshoes like 200 years ago was the man. Like everyone's like, oh, dude, you got to right. go to But How many horseshoe makers do you know? <laughs> like now, like, oh, I make horseshoes. Uh, what do you do for a living? So that just this obsolescence of technology is it's getting so rapid that we're going to need to find a way 
so this universal basic income concept mm-hmm. or whatever, I I'm starting to kind of it's it's a different it's a little bit different to you know extrapolate as what what is so far as needed, but I think it's important for us to take care of those that you know are going to be otherwise there'll be riots in the streets and it doesn't matter how rich you are like your house is going to get burned down and and you're going to be killed because people are just not going to be able to have any job any way to feed their families and stuff so i mean it's this idea of you know i always saw what works about the american system is john locke's idea of originally life liberty and the pursuit of property which Mm -hmm. got remixed as the pursuit of happiness. happiness and then rousseau talking about how um and thomas hobbes about how you have this social contract where if government can protect you you must abide by its rules right mm-hmm. like you're Hobbes talking about how life is nasty brutish and short and Rousseau talking about how like um, you make a deal with society to protect you and your interests if you're able to obey by its rules and that's why the whole civil disobedience thing comes from is this idea like if if you're not being protected or if government is not um, advancing your interests and I think like going back to this what you're talking about like the meritocracy thing. What if someone is, I mean, if if someone has a bias who's hiring people like a racist person in Alabama, the government can be helpful to try to like make sure that he isn't, theoretically, that an African-American person would get hired on their skill to help ba- balance out someone's like biases, right? Like that's where the good comes in. That. Yeah, I, th- 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 I'm, and I'm not totally decrying the system that I do think it has a place and, but... It's it's just it's popular. It the identity politics. It becomes very difficult because even people like th- that would identify with these substrata. You know, for instance, I think at Stanford, I believe at Stanford, where they're not taking Asian uh, Asian students as much. Bec- you know, even though Asians, whatever you want to make a stereotype that they're smart and and that like. Their grades are amazing, but like they actually have a cap on how many Asians that they're taking. I, I hadn't heard about. I that. think this is Stanford. It's it's a it is it's Stanford or Harvard. So whoever's on there, whoever's on the podcast listening, like don't quote me. But what it's is a prestigious university where they found out that they actually have an anti-Asian, you know, because otherwise the student the body would be all Asians if it was you know meritocracy or or mostly comprised of this type of thing. So you see this kind of like where affirmative action lies and and how it benefits people that the, the majority of people that I talk to especially in the stem field you know that are of color or whatever mm-hmm. uh you know they want to know that they got their position based on the fact that they're good at what they do not because you know of their color their skin or whatever that's that's no way anybody wants to be judged sure. so it's a little bit skewed but the thing is is that we need to be that for instance if they don't have the opportunity to learn these things if they don't have the opportunity to like even know that they like computers or whatever not exposed to that sort of thing we do need to be better as a society of getting people to understand the types of things that are out there and and, and what people can really be doing empowering with everyone empowering everyone yeah yeah. I, yeah and i i guess i i've always thought affirmative action was a good thing because i think that there's a lot of power structures and hegemony that you know people are disenfranchised and like things can happen where you know, you need to equal the playing field and how the civil rights of the 60s and everything, like they said that without the government working to like with Brown versus the Board of Education in specific instances, things wouldn't, the government had to step in and be like, this this is right. And, and thank goodness, people like Kennedy and Johnson had 
good morals. Uh-huh. And you know what I'm saying? So it's, I feel you though that like you don't, yeah, it, it's important that people earn their place, but it's also there are power, dark power structures, like like power structures that keep people, keep things at the status quo as they are, mm-hmm. and that sucks. And but the, the institutional racism or whatever. Yeah, that you need to fight that. <clears throat> I right? so that I would say within the, the next couple of generations of people, because like my girlfriend now is she's Puerto Rican, uh, black, and she's um, uh, she's a software developer. You know, so, I mean, the, but she's like another. She's a great example of somebody who does not want a position just because she's a woman or because she's. Puerto Rican or black or any of that stuff. <clears throat> she wants to know that she got the position based on the fact that she knows what she's doing. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I said, and again, she doesn't speak for all Boricuas or all uh, you know African Americans or any of that stuff. But in that that sense, like the whole thing about affirmative action is that there's going to be like generationally a few years down the line since the invention of boats. I mean, we've sort of become more homogenized as a culture like me i'm chinese hawaiian uh, Af- uh american indian um irish like i have just this i'm american i'm an amalgamation of all these different races that you know my daughter you know could marry somebody that's you know i don't know chinese or japanese whatever you'll start to see that as more as interracial marriage kind of comes race in race will fade away race will start to fade away more and more and more and and you'll just basically be able to reach out and touch somebody that's of a different race. So it becomes this thing where it's it's a problem that's going to work itself out. I think that yeah. affirm, affirmative action is something that really has its importance and its place today and now. And and But I don't think that exposing, like, I think that women are very well aware of the STEM fields. You know, I don't think that it's something that's completely out to them. And uh, so the whole there's these campaigns to basically shoehorn people into positions that they may not even want uh is 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 a bad way to fill uh to fill these things you need like i'm passionate about computers yeah my girl's passionate about computers like you shouldn't just be placed or forced to come and be something that you're not you know my wife is a science teacher and um i've learned a lot about feminism and stuff from her and it's very interesting like having these conversations with her and she always talks about how when her students, like especially young girl students are really into science, how that really inspires her. The shirt I have on is a great, it's Grace Hopper has a posse and do you know who Grace Hopper is? No, but I like that shirt. She's the one who like apocryphally uh, termed the, did the term bug. She's the one who like computer bug. Oh, okay. She's one of the four mothers of the computer science and she was an admiral in the Navy. Yeah. Um, there was a time, you know, when all the able-bodied men were out fighting at war, all the computers were all run by women. Computer programmers were all women. I mean, all these earliest computers, the programming was done, you know, it was the STEM fields where the computer field was completely dominated by women. Yeah. Um, and hidden figures. Have you seen that movie uh-huh. about the NASA women, um, mathematicians who helped launch like the first yeah that, that that's there is one she's got a center named after her but she basically was more accurate she was so accurate with her calculations that they would check the computer against her that's she, awesome. she was the one that was the checks and balances for the computer so that it is this thing that i like i believe that uh women have a, a obviously a disposition a predisposition to be good at these types of things you know if if it's something they want to be doing, you know, it's yeah, it's something we shouldn't be exclusionary of. You know, I I I encourage and and want you know more people in it, but you know, I don't want people to be forced into it or anything. Sure. Like that. Yeah, yeah, people should 
follow their passions or whatever. And you being a dad with a, having a daughter, you have a few, you, I mean, you're trying to, I bet you must imagine like ways you can leave a better world for her. And yeah, I think having kids like changes your, you know, the selfishness aspect of, you know, how you look at the world. But, you know, my daughter has no interest in programming computers. She thinks it's boring. She likes computer games, but, you know, it's just not her way. And the same way, you know, my dad would try to like force me to play football or something. Uh, Everyone's different. Yeah, everyone's different. And so I don't push her to, to learn computer programming. If she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to, you know, but she, she knows her way around one. But yeah, I mean, I just want a world where, Again, everyone has the opportunity to do what they want to do, and uh, but you shouldn't just be given it uh, because you are this or because you're that. Or yeah, whatever. it's interesting. Well, it's some some very like relevant, uh, important topics. I'm glad we could like I'm glad we could talk about this, man, because I know we don't always agree on everything, but we do agree on some things. Getting close to wrapping it up, I wanted to ask you this: What would you say? This is such a broad question this might annoy some people but what would you say are the top five nerdcore rap albums and of course you know i know digital gangster or your albums or whatever we can't we can't include anything we might be able to be a guest on it but nothing like has been a whitey cracker or an mc lars or an mc lars and whitey cracker album i can't even name five nerdcore albums <laughs> well how about five okay how about i uh, will let me give you mine give five my own can albums. i give you mine yeah give me yours i would say front a lot's uh secrets from the future that was a go that was a good album yeah, yeah. mega rand's rn mdm i don't i didn't listen to that 2014 i yeah, think that's I, great but yeah the, the hat i have uh but I, I like i said i listen to songs from all these things sure, like, yeah, sure, whatever, sure. but uh yeah i, I think I, chris I'm a bad friend chris is uh what's the one with uh 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 eating isn't cheating that eating, isn't che- eating, is it eating ain't cheating maybe eating, eating cheating. cheating yeah uh I'm just, he's not cheating. Yeah, I'm gonna. I can list yours. I would say the any nerd rap entertainment system, and what am I gonna say for my fifth? This is this is big. I mean, I don't know. I always felt like Adam Warrock had some great. Adam Warrock was great too. Yeah. Is this thing human or something? That's one of his. That's a good one. I like. Did you talk to him? Because he's come I up a lot in a while. Podcast. One of the guys I miss a lot that I used to hang out with a lot was is um, Doctor Awkward. Like he's done good, right? He's been working for uh, the company that makes uh, Rocket League. Yeah, right? I'm, I can't think of what they are. They're called now. That's it's gonna kill me. But yeah, that he Zealous One was amazing, and then he hung up the Spurs and he just quit quit rapping. Um, yeah, but uh, like, ah, do I miss? There's a lot of people from back then that I miss. You know, and I, Schaefer, Schaefer's Sick Passenger is another great record. Schaefer, there's too many good ones. Yeah, Schaefer's got a lot of good stuff though. Yeah, like, Schaefer's, he's the best live act I think out of all of us. Like he's, yeah, as far as the one man, you know, do the thing. Like he just, he's so theatrical. Like, um, yeah, he's a, he's amazing. Hawking's Hawking's um, brief history rhyme. Yeah, that's that's actually probably a seminal classic. That yeah. people, I think people probably know that album uh, more than they know even the existence of nerdcore. Like his MC Hawking it was, was yeah, it was very meme. Yeah, for its time, these things like Magfest and Pax and South by Southwest, these things that keep us seeing each other. I hope continue. You know, yeah, definitely. Uh, my buddy Paul is starting to throw this uh, festival called Play. Um, it's kind of a music and gaming festival. He comes from the electronic music world um uh he did the day glow parties uh, paint parties they were called life in color eventually but yeah he's starting a festival and again he 
he's the owner of like a giant club in space and a client club in Miami called space. Yeah. And so, but he's throwing his hat in the ring and so that's going to be super impressive, but it's good to be part of this. Yeah. Like this, this wave or whatever that our, our names are etched on the cave walls as it were. <laughs> so if, if anyone needs to come and like kind of see like where a lot of this shit sprung from, they can, they can reference those. And our albums and our collaborations kind of paint these stories of our lives. And for me, it's like, you know, the 20s were an interesting time and I'm so thankful I spent my 20s like many much of my 20s with you and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah we had a great time we get a lot of people asking us when we're going to do a second digital gangster LP and I think we could make it a phenomenal record what what are your thoughts on this Whitey Cracker I agree I just my, that's it, I just have to shift gears into music guy and that's the thing it doesn't happen that often um like I because I'm more just I think front a lot was he was always trying to do an album a year or something. Um, I and then re- that changed. <laughs> yeah, that I'm like kind of the same. I did a an album, released an album last year that was pretty sizable. Uh, it was just a bunch of a collection of beats. It was like twenty tracks, something like that. But it was a collection of B sides and old stuff. Um, but I just released sing- singles on SoundCloud and stuff now. Yeah, you get a lot of plays. Which yeah, I is do all right. Pretty cool. Yeah, people like me. But I think. that that idea of us spending a week in San Francisco recording an album is to schedule that. It would have to be. What was special about Digital Gangster is we were in one place, mm-hmm. and I was so ready to make a record because I'd been trying to please label people and managers when I was doing Robot Kills that, like, to be able to have no barrier. Yeah. And just my friend and our collabs. And, you know, Doc Pop sent us a bunch of beats. Yeah, he did. He did do that. That was nice of him. Um, it, would have to, it would have to be done over email, and I wonder if it would, if that would, I don't know. If it would be, be the same? Fresh. I don't know. It could be good. I, I hate New York, but if you if I have to go out there to record it, I will. <laughs> How long? How many days do you think it would take us? I think we might be able to do the week thing again. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, that's that's plausible. I just that's awesome. It's, it's just getting in that head head mind or mind frame, you know, that head head space. It's it's easy. Come, yeah, and we wrote a lot of it there, didn't we? We had yeah, the we concepts. Well, no, actually, we wrote probably nine. We had like one the one song we'd written, which I want to end with, was Onianta. Uh-huh. We'd written that before. Remember that song? Yeah, yeah, that song was real cool. That song was I used to love doing that live. That yeah. live that song live was so awesome. Bryce, thank you for your time today. This is very cool, and I think that people, you know, we we haven't we haven't done stuff together for a while, but people always remember like our work, and it's cool that we've remained friends. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, it's a pleasure to see you, and yeah, I said it. I I don't know, like uh, I've it's been awesome, like watching you, like still. Hey, you look great, by the way. Like obviously, thank you. yeah, yeah, you too, um, man. So it's it's been awesome to see you, just sort of maintain like you you have been a professional musician for quite a while now uh the longevity is really insane you know there's a lot of people like weird al you know i mean he's his career's outlasted a lot of the artists that he's parodied and stuff and i think that's one thing about fan bases that we share is that they're awesome they're very fervent they're super super dedicated and as long as we can maintain that you know we might be at the at the nursing home you know spitting out some old stuff provided, that, provided we don't get dementia or something that's a dream man and that's like thank you for saying saying those kind things and i've always kind of like you know thought of us as this version of definitely not as canonized and definitely like more underground but the beat generation uh-huh. we're all kind of connected we've all inspired each other and we all kind of keep checking on each other yeah, and I, yeah. ho- I hope that we you know that those guys all like Ginsburg and them, they kept putting stuff out till they died, and I hope we can keep rocking till till we're down in the ground. We're not we're not dying of like liver failure or yeah, being like 
Charles Bukowski and like <laughs> beating women all the time. Let's keep that yeah, out of it. That's not us. No. Yeah, it's not us. Not the beat generation. We don't want to be that type of thing. Burroughs, you know, he really preserved himself with uh, heroin. Yeah. So, and you know, you know, I'm a fan of, uh, of opiates. So, hey, yo. Uh, that'll be me one day. Yeah. <laughs> when I finally like start to like needles or something, then heroin will be my next drug. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> on that topic, you know, you know, it's interesting, man, that you've, you, I don't know if you knew this about me, I've been sober like three years and seeing you though maintain as a recreate, doing what you want recreationally, you've always, you never were like a, you always had, it, no one would know about your recreational activities. No, I'm, I don't present myself as a drug addict or anything, I don't think so, but that I think that drugs are a necessary part of life in some senses the, I, the the experiences that you gain from using them are important but you know you don't let yourself get strung out i have always said never let science make you history and I, wow. I and i call drugs science so yeah there's a there's a time and place and you know you don't again like if you you have to live well you know you don't want to be selling everything you own for the drugs you want to do and never let the drugs you know do you type stuff so uh, i remember I remember, well, on being on tour, like on days when I just, I just had never been in a hotel with someone who had to sleep with a hairdryer in his pants oh, on hot. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Because you were cold? From, yeah. Heat, from the oxys? No, I just call it a heat gun. I just, I love. You didn't burn your balls? No, no, I don't put it down my pants. I just, it's just on my feet or something like that. Like I just use it as a space heater is all I do with the, uh, it would be uh, all yeah, night. Yeah. Frontal, I ate that. <laughs> Why is, well, people were afraid you're going to burn down the hotel room. Nah, I mean, it's a hairdryer. I mean, I guess you could, but whatever. Yeah. I, I do it here in this house. Like I have, it's like, yeah, I just grab my heat gun sometimes. It just, it's hot, hot air feels good. What can I say? Yeah, that's um, these days you these days you do people hire you to help with security for their apps and stuff. Yeah, I have my security firm that's doing its thing. Um, I do some stuff in the bug bounty scene, which is like uh, it's, it's a relatively new concept. But what it is, is that companies, they'll allocate a budget and then they just have a bunch of freelance hackers that are hacking their site. And then depending on the severity and the impact of the bugs that you find, like security flaws, then they just give you money. So uh, it's a good way to earn, you know, extra cash or a living if you're dedicated to it. But I just kind of play with it. That sounds fun. And it's super. Doesn't cool. Dual Core do that, David? Nah, David does. David works for a big, big company. Um, yeah. He's he's always just been work for big company guy. I've always been, you know, hustle as much as I can. I worked for Grinder for uh, a while as their CISO. Um, and the reason I got involved with them was because. They're as a global company. Their grinder is located in a lot of countries that were being gay is illegal. Like they'll stone you to death or they'll kill you, like for for being gay. And so they were using grinder to entrap gay people and then arrest them and stuff. That's horrible. Yeah. So I got to develop systems uh, to stop that type of thing, and um, or at least you're, you're like doing social justice work. Yeah, but that's what I said. It's just my so with yes, me. Yes, you are, Boydy Cracker. Yeah, but with me, it's just fun to fuck with governments. Can I say the f word? Sure. Yeah. Okay. You can yeah. Say, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. It's for me. It's fun to fuck with state governments and stuff like that. Like, but not be working for the government. Like, you know, one of my funniest memories of our tour was we we had projections during our set, uh -huh. and um, we had one video where I think it was Oneonta 
where we had these big, burly, handsome men making out. It's oh like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like yeah. a celebration of <laughs> no, that's what we put it. We're behind. celebrating the love between two men. <laughs> we, put, <laughs> we put that behind front of. Love. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we put it behind yeah. for last verse because it was a song about friendship and love. <laughs> and we had these guys. <laughs> but it wasn't like X-rated. It was just guys showing yeah, love for each just, other. But lot didn't, <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like during his verse, it was projecting like these two big, big burly like bears making out <laughs> and like Frontalot's rapping and everyone's like laughing and no, people oh, were like oh, oh yeah we th- and he thought it was, it was, it was his so raps dope. were so good but really it's because <laughs> oh my god I forgot you remember this and I, remember so when, I remember when we were in Staten Island we were editing the videos you and I just laughed <laughs> for like 20 minutes I don't think I ever laughed so hard that was good that was so funny and then <laughs> and then by the but the third show, Damien was like, if you don't change that video, I'm not going to do that song. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> oh, so we ended up changing Dude, it. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. We were 20. No, we, did. we knew that if he was rapping on stage and everyone was like, oh, they would be like, <laughs> and was, he's gonna think he's just the sickest rapper ever. And really, I remember we were yeah. in Jersey or something, and then like he turns around and he does a double take. And he was so mad at us. He was so mad at us. I'm sorry, Damien. Yeah, sorry, we ta- Damien. We talked about this last year about how he was so still mad. God, that was so funny. Oh my god, I totally forgot about that. Oh, dude. Our videos, we had oh so much. Yeah, we put a lot into the. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those are fun. Anyway, that was a funny one. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Where did? Bryce, so we're, we're you're on Real Whitey Cracker on Twitter. Yeah, Real Whitey Cracker on Twitter. It's got a blue check mark, so it's easy to find. Holler. Um, then uh, Facebook slash Whitey Cracker, GitHub slash Real Whitey Cracker, uh, SoundCloud is Whitey Cracker. What's GitHub? I'm I'm sound ignorant asking. What no, is G- that? GitHub is a software repository. Okay. It's where you upload your open source projects and stuff. I was just really joking. No one's gonna go to my GitHub, but um, now they are. Yeah, SoundCloud. And are you WhiteyCracker.com? I am whiteycracker.com. Yep. So that's when Twitter shuts you down. You can still. <laughs> yeah, you can still. I still do my racist rants on whiteycracker.com if we need to see them. No, you don't. You don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have any music coming out? Um, so actually, yes. I'm, I'm starting to like. There's a couple things I'm kicking around. Like, I, I'm going to get back in. It's just after Neil's, it was really. Like that was I expended a lot of energy, a lot of mental energy, and you know I I, I do want to make a sequel to it, but uh, the the political climate I would say has to be right for me to do it. So I'm gonna wait for another election or something. But other than that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm always putting out little singles and stuff. But there are a few things I'm my gears are spinning. So aren't you glad we have a new election coming up? Yeah, yeah, I this has just been surreal for me. Like, yeah, I'd never thought. I don't know. For all of us. Yeah. It's I I don't know. It's it's it would be funny if it wasn't. So <laughs> uh, if it was yeah, if it wasn't surreal, there'd be something wrong with us. Yeah. Yeah. I just but that's the, the th- people in general are fucking cool. Like everybody's tight. So people have good in them. Yeah. And yeah. that's what we have to find. So. And I like we said earlier about your karma find you, right? Like yeah. your your yours. One thing can something can't permanently derail you if you've done a lot of good things and you I don't know. Well, I that's the other thing is like with the Me Too movement. I don't mean like bring that on, but like that that's there there are these things like where I mean it's amazing that these things are coming to light and and stuff. But 
you know, can if let's say a man is like, when do people atone for their sins? Like when is Louis C.K. going to be able to come back to comedy, you know, for what he's done and, and everything? And then when they're digging up old tweets, you know, that from when a kid is 16 and then using it to be mad at him for getting the Heisman Trophy, we need to have some sort of a because people do change and they do get better yeah. and they do change their minds. And so we need to ha- give people paths to redemption, you know, if they need it. So the Internet, as much as it never forgets, like, you know, we need to be cognizant of the fact that people do change. I've changed. You've changed. Everybody's had. Yeah. And, and to remember to teach our the next generation to be careful in what they say and what they do. And we didn't really our generation didn't realize this stuff would follow us. Yeah. 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 So, But but that is the, no way. Excuse it. It just means we all have to be a little more aware of evolving together right totally totally absolutely these are things we could talk about on a album without trying to talk about them in a very objective fair way way i feel like if we were both agreeing we could bring dialogue you know if if you and i both agreed about a topic would be an interesting like perspective i think even if we went about the things we disagree on yeah and like a debate format would might even be more intriguing because then people get two sides of the argument so there's a great song in front of us new record called bad nerd i think Something like that, and it's about how we how the internet can be used for good, mm-hmm. and like you know, the, the trolls and all that. We don't have time for them, you know. Anyway, it's, it's a, a vo- it's a vocal minority though, so it's a vocal minority. Yeah. yeah. Whitey Cracker, this has been tight. Hell yeah, dude. But look, y'all will have forty five seconds. Please stop when I tell you, or else you will be disqualified. All right, let's get it going. We're gonna start things off with your boy right here. I'm sitting by myself in Oneonta, New York, typing rhymes on my MacBook, getting to work. I put my headphones on and I hide behind the screen because the world is mercurial, the world is mean. Sick of all these boring people, so I'm in the fast lane, writing rhyme after rhyme. I hide inside the gigs of the music in the data shot, calling MySpace, falling peace world. I'll see you later. I'm sitting by myself in the Springs, Colorado. Well, not alone with my shadow, I battle thoughts from the cattle, so I dig in my saddle, deflect a mess with my Atari paddle, control the flow, these bits is second nature, paper what I make by pushing data, thank the maker, blow out like a circuit breaker, check my Facebook man, I'll see you later. I'm by myself in Oneonta, New York, typing rhymes on my MacBook, getting to work, I put my headphones on and get lost in the web, I never like reality, I'll stay in mine instead, I'm over all the boring, dejected, bitter people who run to their dealers, their troughs and their steeples I reign supreme in my rhythmic paradise I kill the demon with my lyrics and it feels very nice Hip-hop integration, the I generation When tech, I hit the streets from the net Now this net vet, get props and respect Cause I knew what I was doing in the 80s Bet the computer, save hip-hop, made hip-hop, played hip-hop So I return the favor, tell them how computers are that savior Like hip-hop gave us this gift, the great touch I studied hip-hop cause I had to, I had no choice I needed an identity, I needed a voice So I found my salvation in the Ron DMC The KRS, Nas, and Public Enemy You can take the rapper out the British punk show But you can't take the punk show out the rapper, yo So I'm DIY till I die, this is why When I try, you'll probably see me smiling When you see me flying straight on by I'm sitting by myself in that San Francisco Well, not alone, cause I'm about to spit flows With my friend Lars that I met, cause I'm music And if I wasn't rapping, then I feel abused Kids, since I found music, I never had solitude It will never beat on me or call me names It will never cheat on me or play those games It will always be loyal 
loyal and never change Kick it with the rondo, spitting in the studio Blocking out the world when I'm feeling kinda moody, yo Getting in the paradise, I'm the nerdy coolio Cause I got a gift and I feel it is my duty, yo Got the fame now, came up from done luck And they all know I'm the ish like two girls, one cup They all know that I'm styling on the interweb And they all press and repeat just to hear what I said I'm the best man, I did it And they all press and repeat just to hear what I said I'm the best man, I did it now I'm sitting alone, not the stone's throw from the bone show that I don't seek to star in. Already went too far in that direction. A good legend of lifespan spent. Rap for half of it hadn't had an epiphany yet. If I do it's on set, getting attributed to this though. Sitting by myself in San Luis Obispo, trying to thumb a ride to the castle keep where the rich man dwelled with this cash pile deep where his crimes wouldn't leap from obscurity to prominence. Man, or I'm while I hitchhike to be ominous. Why from a lot? Maybe you don't get picked up in the middle of a lyric. You don't wanna interrupt as you fly past Isn't it hologram digital cars and trucks Are simulated by the quizzical GPU Who wonders why the threads would intermingle The roadside and the rhyming The B-side and the single Alright That was a good freestyle battle But you know what I'm saying I'ma have to give it to my vote I'ma have to give it to Eli Cause he really represents He stepped up Even though he messed up a couple times He stepped up Oh, this your boy J-Dub um, I'm gonna have to go with my boy Emmy because he held it down. He didn't have no mistakes, you know what I'm saying? He went straight off the brain. He held it down. Let's go. Yeah, this A14, of course. But yeah, both of them did good. But I give it to Emmy because he did great. Wow. That was a great interview. Thank you, Whitey Cracker. Covered a lot of territory, had a lot of laughs. And. Uh, yeah, it was great. So be sure to check out next week on the podcast. I interviewed Joe Jack Talcum from the Dead Milkman. What? Then the following week, it's with Rodney Anonymous from the Dead Milkman. What? This is back-to-back Dead Milkman flavor. I recorded those on the same day I recorded Adam and his package. I had three po- Philadelphia podcasts. I took the bus up there and just went hard on the interviews. But they're great interviews because, you know, the Dead Milkmen are freaking legends. I worked with them on the Mr. Raven remix on the Edgar Allan Poe EP. I opened for them one Halloween and uh, they're amazing. If you've ever seen me in Philadelphia, you've probably seen Rodney Anonymous come on stage and rap Mr. Raven with me because there's no one like him. Joe Jack and him are very different, and that's why I wanted to record them, record them on different occasions because Roddy's a little bit more loquacious. Joe Jack is a little more understated, and so I wanted to get their two perspectives on the history of Philadelphia punk rock and all that. So anyway, this has been your host, MC Lars. Please leave a review. If you like the podcast, please leave a review if you don't. And please check out the Patreon and check out the singles we're dropping for the Dewey Decibel System because the album is going to be out in less than a month. In a few weeks, the full album is out. We're releasing videos. We've got a bunch of videos and a bunch of premieres coming up. So be sure to follow my uh, Twitter at MC Lars and Megaran's at Megaran for information about the new releases. Thanks again to the listeners. And we'll see you next week with part one of my two-part series on the Dead Milkman. Yo, Whitey Cracker, great episode. Thanks for being on. Peace. Oh, it's MC Lars. Bye.